please be seated. We come again to uh, God's Word. We'll be looking at a particular passage uh, today along with Psalm 88, but we're also following in this sermon series as we're looking at the dynamics of the Christian life. We are using Scripture as our guide, but we're organizing our thoughts through the storyline of John Bunyan's uh, Pilgrim's Progress. And today the journey as we're following Christian and now his new companion, Hopeful, uh, we, we come to a place where we have to consider a question. And here's the question. Is it possible for a true Christian, that is one who is united to Christ Jesus in saving faith, to come to a place in their journey where they experience darkness, despair, and doubt even to the extent of losing all assurance of salvation. And so that really is the question that we will focus on uh, today. And John Bunyan's own story, his own life's experience, the author of The Pilgrim's Progress, that is helping us understand the Christian life along with Scripture, He wrote another book called Grace Abounding that really catalogs as somewhat of an autobiography of his journey. And Bunyan writes this, At another time, though just before I was pretty well and savory in my spirit, yet suddenly there fell upon me a great cloud of darkness, which did so hide from me the things of God and Christ that I was as if I had never seen or known them in my life. I was also so overrun in my soul with a senseless, heartless frame of spirit that I could not feel my soul to move or stir after grace and life by Christ. I was as if my loins were broken or as if my hands and feet had been tied or bound with chains. At this time also I felt some weakness to seize upon my outward man which made still the other affliction the more heavy and uncomfortable to me. That is John Bunyan who wrote the greatest work of outside of Scripture, of the Christian life, and one of the greatest works of literature, who basically said that he got to a place of darkness where he could not even see God or see Jesus, felt no sense of being able to call out or even cry out to him. Does Bunyan's experience resonate at some level with you? And with me, maybe there's someone here today that has gotten to that dark place. Even pondering this question, could I even be a Christian? We want to look first at how how does one get to that awful place? And then is there a way out? And thankfully... There is a way out. And so we'll be looking at this this two-part question, not only realizing that, yes, it is possible for a true Christian to be in such a dark place, but how do you get there? And what is 
the way out. Now, I want to make a disclaimer here. This is Father's Day, and we're looking at a portion of Pilgrim's Progress that is about the giant of despair. I don't mean to make a correlation between fathers and giant of despair. It just so happens in God's providence, <laughs> this, is, this is where we are. I thought that was kind of funny, actually. But anyway, I guess my sense of humor is somewhat warped. I think we need to go to prayer. Let's pray. Father, this is a very, very uh, serious and, and weighty matter that is before us today. It's a, it, darkness and despair and doubt and loss of all assurance. And in the midst of these realities that may have consumed someone even here today, may be a reality that will consume someone tomorrow Lord, I pray that you would show us uh, the light of the gospel in the midst of this very, very difficult uh, topic. And we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I, I want to really base much of what I say today on, on one passage of Scripture. And I would ask you to turn there. And it's, it's Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 5 through 8. Because I believe in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, we, we can learn about how one gets into a dark place, like we're looking at today, like Psalm 88 describes, and also we might learn how to avoid it. So let us turn our attention to God's Word, as I will read and ask you to follow along in your Bibles. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It is perfect, reviving the soul. And may it revive our souls even today. So our goal today is to consider the problem of misplaced confidence and the result of misplaced confidence, which is lack of faith. And then we'll look at the remedy to misplaced confidence that results in lack of faith. And the remedy is Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord and all that we read in that passage of Scripture. So you'll find an outline on page 5 of your bulletin. Let's look first at misplaced confidence. I think every believer, including myself, face the potential of taking our confidence off of Christ and placing them on ourselves. And one proof of this is the fact that God even gives us Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. That is an exhortation not to misplace our confidence. So let's dive into Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. First, trust in the Lord, verse 5, the first part of verse 5. And that's closely related to the second part of verse 7. Fear the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Fear the Lord. The, we 
see a close relationship there. Now, we know, you know that Proverbs says much about the fear of God and it being the beginning of wisdom. And true wisdom is trusting God out of a reverent fear of Him. That is, we trust Him because we fear who He is. We have a reverence and an awe for not only who He is, but what He has done, the promises that He has made in His Word. And, and when we, we read, trust in the Lord, notice how it's qualified, trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is not speaking about just some mere intellectual trust. I know these things about God, therefore I trust Him. No, this is the whole person casting their whole self, resting on God, being confident in the whole upon Him, being confident that in the Bible He has told us who He is and He really is who he says he is in the Bible, being confident that all that he has promised to us in the Bible, that he will fulfill. Our confidence is to be rested upon God, yet it's so easily for us to misplace our confidence on self or in self, isn't it? And secondly, we learn in Proverbs 3, 5 through 8, do not lean on your own understanding. The second part of verse 5. And that is further explained by the first part of verse 7. Are you keeping up with this? We're looking at wisdom literature where we see one thing is restated in the section after. Do not lean on your own understanding. Further explain. Chapter 7, first part, be not wise in your own eyes. Now these are where the first is a positive command, trust in the Lord, fear the Lord. This is a negative command, do not lean, do not be wise in your own eyes. God has perfect knowledge of un and understanding, we don't, yet it's so easy for us to act as if we do. God has perfect uh, wisdom and we think that we have perfect wisdom so much of the time, don't we? And yet, only God has perfect wisdom. We may think we know, but we really do not. We are limited. Now, it's interesting that in verse 5, the word lean is used. Do not lean on your own understanding. And what this is not indicating is just simply just kind of putting your elbow and just kind of leaning like you would lean up against a wall. It's not really getting at that sense of leaning. What the word actually means is leaning in that you basically are putting your full weight on something to hold you up. And so when we read in Proverbs, do not lean on your own understanding, it is saying in no way should you ever put your full weight or any amount of your weight on your own understanding. I mean, how many times have we gotten into trouble because we've done exactly what this proverb tells us not to do, that we have leaned on our own understanding. We have said, wait just a minute, I do have wisdom. And we make a decision based on our wisdom, our being wise in our own eyes that contradicts God's wisdom, and we get ourselves into trouble. Do not lean on yourself. And then thirdly, the, the proverb says... In all your ways acknowledge him, verse 6, first part. 
And if we are acknowledging him in all our ways, then we will be, verse 7, the third part, turning away from evil. In all your ways acknowledge him. What I believe that means is that when we acknowledge God, what we are acknowledging is that God is sovereign, that his decrees are sovereign, that his purposes are sovereign, that his plan is sovereign, that he's got a goal, and that goal is the very best goal for me, no matter what I think about it. And I acknowledge him, that the, that the way, the means, the circumstances that I'm going through, I acknowledge that God is sovereign over all of those. And just like we read in Romans 8, 28, for the... For the, the child of God, though things aren't good, they are worked for good in our lives. And so we acknowledge God as his plan, his purpose, his decrees, his goal are right. And he is working everything to accomplish his purposes and plan and goals for his people. And so if we are living acknowledging him, if we are living, acknowledging him by following his word, then we will also be turning from evil. And we're assured that if we acknowledge the Lord, and if we're truly doing that, we'll be turning away from evil, we'll be turning away from placing our confidence in ourselves, then listen or read what the outcome of that is, our path will be straight. In other words, we will be on the very path, that, even though that, that path may seem ever so crooked to us, but yet from God's heaven, it is as straight as can be God's plan to bring about his purposes in our lives to achieve his goal for us is straight viewed from heaven and as we acknowledge him as we turn from evil and trust him and obey him he has assured us that we will not deviate from that straight path the very path that he has set for us and then in verses 5 through 8 for one who is living that way, his life will be healing. These, this way of life will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Well, that's just a very brief overview of Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. These exhortations from God to God's people. And yet the opposite is true that if we reject these exhortations, if we turn from these exhortations, our life will be anything but healing and refreshment. Christian and Hope will continue their journey on the straight and narrow way to the celestial city, as Bunyan's allegory tells us. And after they rested there at the Pleasant River that we considered last week, they're they're continuing their journey. They face some more adversity. But old Christian begins to feel confident. And so he's kind of growing in his own ability 
to stay on this straight and narrow way and make it to the celestial city. The problem is he's growing in confidence, but it's confidence in himself and not confidence in God. He's growing in confidence. It's confidence not in God, but confidence in their progress. And so Christian sees another way that is very close to the straight and narrow that God had set before them. It's called the Bypath Meadow. Have you seen that? Have you seen it? I think it might be out near Roland. You've seen it. I've seen it. Come on, be honest with yourself. You have seen an easier way to make it to heaven. And you've taken it. I've taken it. So yeah, we know about Bypath Meadow. The problem with Bypath Meadow is that it promises to be a better way. But it is the way of human effort. And it is the way of destruction. It is a way of peril. It is a way of suffering. Well, Christian convinces hopeful to divert from the straight and narrow that God had laid before them to take Bypath Meadow. And they come across a fellow by the name of Vain Confidence. Have you met him? <laughs> I think you're looking at him, actually. Vain Confidence has confidence in himself, and he's quite comfortable in progressing down this, quote, better way, resting in himself for righteousness, resting in himself to make it to heaven, the, the celestial city. And so what happens is that Christian and hopeful begin to follow vain confidence and it becomes dark and a storm comes and the water begins to rise and all of a sudden they hear vain confidence who has obviously fallen into a pit and he's dashed upon the rocks never to be seen again. And the water is rising and they're fearing for their lives and so somehow or another they make it to a little bit of a, of a hill where they can, they can rest. And with all of their skill, they try to get off that bypath meadow, to get out of that danger, and to get back on the straight and narrow way. Did you hear what I said? By all their skill, they tried to get back on the straight and narrow way, and they were unable. Why? Because they tried by all their skill. Does that sound familiar to you? We can feel as though we're far from Christ, we're, we don't, we're not alive spiritually as we would like to be when we're in a valley of, or a desert of spiritual dryness, and what do we do? We try with all our skill to do a better job reading our Bible. We try with all our skill to pray harder. We try with all our skill to get the right counsel. We, we try with all our skill, and we miss the only thing that will get us back on the straight and narrow, and that is fleeing to Jesus. And so they're sitting there with the water rising in the darkness off the straight and narrow in peril and they're unable to get back. Misery resulted from Christian and hopeful not heeding the exhortations 
that we find in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. They put their confidence in self, and they experience darkness, despair, and doubt. And this is even brought to a, a more apparent level when we look at the second aspect of the message today, and that is loss of faith. So what happens when we neglect the admonitions of Proverbs 3, 5 through 8, when we fail to trust in the Lord and fear Him, when we lean on our own understanding and take quite pride in being wise in our own eyes, when we do not acknowledge Him in all our ways and we take the way that seems right to us And if we do, we will not turn from evil, but actually embrace it. What happens when we say no to Proverbs 3, 5 through 8? Christian and Hopeful found a little shelter from the flood. And their worries, though, were not over because they were captured by the giant of despair. And the giant of despair captured them because they were trespassing on the property of Doubting Castle. And John of Despair took Hopeful and Christian and threw them in the dungeon of Doubting Castle. And that dungeon was a foul, unpleasant place. By the way, this was on Wednesday of the week. Very important, Wednesday of the week. Hopeful and Christian are thrown into the dungeon. And they sit in that dungeon all the way until... Sunday, early Sunday morning, but for the most part, Wednesday through Saturday, their misery grows. Uh, John of Despair's wife's name is Defidence, <laughs> and, and, you know, in Bunyan's day, that word Defidence had, had a fuller meaning than it does today. It's just not, you know, kind of ambivalence, but it actually meant lack of faith. And so John and Despair indefinite scheme on how to make matters even worse for poor Christian and hopeful down in that uh, dungeon. And Christian in particular just begins to sink further and further into the darkness, into despair, into doubt, even to the point of thinking that his life is not worth Living, he contemplates, but the giant of despair and deafness decided to at least suggest that Christian and Hope will take their own lives. It would certainly be an easier way out. And Christian seriously considers death by suicide. And he says this listen to this the grave is more easy than the dungeon. Job came to this very place, and we know he did, because he writes this in chapter 7, verse 15, so that I would choose strangling and death rather than my bones. Job despaired of life itself. Psalm 88 is about David despairing even for life itself. Psalm 88 is the only psalm, according to some commentators that I've read, that does not 
have a profession of faith in God to care. Psalm 88 has no resolution whatsoever. The last word is darkness. It is one of the darkest psalms or parts of Scripture. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. David is, just leaves us hanging in despair and darkness and thinking my life is worth nothing. The grave is easy, easier than the dark dunge, dungeon. John Bunyan struggled in that dark place, as I read earlier. And I don't have a hymnal up here, <laughs> and I can't even remember what hymn number it is. Uh, maybe you can look it up. God moves in mysterious ways. It's a William Cooper hymn. William Cooper was a neighbor of John Newton. John Newton was William Cooper's pastor. And William Cooper, in my judgment, is one of the greatest hymn writers that we have, and certainly as reflected in the Trinity hymnal. William Cooper struggled with depression. William Cooper tried on multiple occasions to kill himself by drowning in a river. This is a bizarre twist of God's mysterious work in my judgment that a man like William Cooper that is such a mess could write some of the best hymns a man who felt like he was not blessed has been a blessing to millions throughout church history. And I'll just simply read one stanza of God Moves in Mysterious Ways. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. And William Cooper knew what it was like to be under a dark, dark cloud. And yet by God's grace, he was able to write these hymns that reflect who God is and reflect God's grace and love and mercy. William Cooper knew the darkness, John Bunyan knew the darkness, David knew the darkness, Job knew the darkness, and Timothy Brewer knew the darkness as well. I don't, I've never met Timothy Brewer, but in 1995, Pastor Brewer, a pastor in our own Reformed tradition, Evangelical Presbyterian Church in St. Louis, uh, Central Presbyterian, was found in his car. He had committed, he had killed himself by suicide by leaving the car running, carbon monoxide poisoning. Think about how that affected a church and a Christian community and a city and many of us who are pastors and who have the same theological commitments as Timothy Brewer 
all accounts, a solid believer. And yet he got to such a dark place that he judged the grave was easier than the dungeon. In his suicide note, he wrote, I feel like a drowning man. Now, there were reasons. He had lost part of his leg in a train accident earlier that year that caused him to suffer with depression. The antidepressants didn't help. There are all kinds of reasons for Timothy Brewer to take his own life. But my purpose is simply to show that those who, by all accounts, and who really are true Christians, can come to such a dark place that like Christian in the dungeon of Downing Castle can judge the grave is easier than the dungeon. We live in a culture of suicide, according to many experts. This culture is reflected in what is described by many as the most popular Netflix series of last year and probably this year, the series 13 Reasons Why. This series follows the journey of a teen, 17-year-old girl, as she moves toward killing herself by uh, suicide. And in just recent weeks, within the same week, Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain committed suicide, these two celebrities. And maybe the most startling thing about the Netflix series is that the age group that is said to be the group that more than any other watched this are 13 and 14 year olds. They're smart enough to get past your parental restrictions on Netflix. And they're watching a series that celebrates suicide. That's what it is. For many Christians and non-Christians, life becomes so dark that death by suicide is judged to be the only answer. I just want to say a few things about suicide. And the first thing I want to say is suicide is sin. It's never the solution. And the second thing I want to say is suicide is not the unpardonable sin. If a person is united to Christ in saving faith and they come to the place of being in such a dark place that they take their life, if they're truly united to Christ, they will be in heaven. Did everybody hear that? Suicide is sin, but it's not the unpardonable sin. And third, the reason why someone takes their life is extremely complicated. Mental illness, addictions, depression, spiritual crisis, and the reasons may go on and on. And the way to avoid 
or to help someone avoid suicide is incredibly complicated. Scripture and prayer is always helpful, but there may be professional psychological help needed as well as spiritual help. And fourth, the believer who contemplates suicide, given the complexities of why they have gotten into this place, I want to suggest to you that somewhere in the mix is a decision to reject the exhortations that we find in Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. On Wednesday of this past week at our General Assembly in Atlanta, a seminar was given by two Covenant College professors. It was entitled, Suicide, 13 Reasons the Church Needs to Talk About It. True Christians can come to such a dark place, such a place of despair where they have lost all assurance of salvation that they actually contemplate taking their life because the grave seems easier than the dungeon. And in light of this growing culture of suicide in our day, And I think the need for the church to address what is a real issue in our day and even in the church, I think we need to talk about it as a church. And I'm thinking about how to do that. Because there may come a day where someone in this church commits suicide. There may come a day that someone comes to you and says, I'm contemplating suicide. What do we do? I think we need to talk about it. More to come on that. Loss of faith, despair, darkness. But there's hope. The good news is this. There's a remedy. And part of that remedy... And if you've not read this section of Pilgrim's Progress, I'd encourage you to do it. It's kind of tough reading, but it's also beautiful. And it's beautiful in in several ways, especially in this way. Because I think part of the remedy of trusting in the Lord is, is the fact that we're not alone. We're really not alone in the dark dungeon. We've got a church family. We've got elders. We've got friends that we can seek out for help. And Christian wasn't alone in the dark dungeon. He had hopeful. And hopeful was there. Hopeful was suffering the same thing Christian was, but hopeful had hope where Christian did not. And hopeful comes alongside Christian and reminds him of three things. At the very depth of Christian's despair and hopelessness, hopeful speaks hope to him by first reminding him of who God is. And hopeful says this, hey, Christian, God is sovereign over the giant of despair and diffidence. God is the creator and sustainer. God is even the creator of this dungeon. 
This is not outside his sovereign will. And by the way, uh, Christian, God is your creator. You answer to him. You do not have authority over your life. God does. You do not have the right to take your life. Because your life is God's. He created you. And let me just say this culture of suicide in our land today, at the very core of that, theologically, it is this idea that man has authority over his own life, and man doesn't. God does. And the second thing Hopeful reminds Christian is this. God's word says, thou shalt not murder Christian not only reminds, or hopeful not only reminds Christian of who God is, Christian reminds hopeful of what God has said in his word. And then thirdly, Christian reminds hopeful to persevere and to resist despair and doubt. And you know, this is a beautiful picture of how we should be as a church that as we come across one of our own that might be in a dungeon that we come alongside of them as fellow sojourners and we in love remind them of who God is remind them of God's word remind them to persevere we're not alone in the dungeon we have one another but most importantly we're not alone in the dungeon because we have God we have Christ we have specifically we always have the promises of God. You see, the major remedy in the dungeon is this. Early on that Sunday morning, remember I told you these guys were thrown in the dungeon there at, the, uh, at uh, Downing Castle on a Wednesday, and they suffered all the way through Saturday night, and then early Sunday morning they turned to prayer. <laughs> on the Lord's Day they turned to prayer. And then they remember what they have had the whole time they'd been in that dungeon. You know what they had had? A key. And they reach in and they take that key. And you know what that key represents? The very precious promises of God in Christ Jesus. <laughs> they had the answer the whole time they were in the dungeon. They had the answer when they were sitting in that little refuge there with all of their skill trying to get back on the straight way. You see, they had the key, but they, they didn't remember it. They didn't access it. They didn't trust it. They were trusting themselves. They had the key the entire time they were in the dungeon. But on that Sunday morning, they found that, they remembered that key, and they took it. It unlocked the castle gate. They were set free and set back on the straight and narrow path that God had set before them. It isn't interesting what Bunyan does here. On Sunday morning, they benefited from the means of grace. The word, the sacrament, and prayer. Now let me tell you something. I just want to, I'm going to speak straightforward here. I think 
that there is a sense in this congregation and congregations like ours that I really don't need to be in public worship. And yet, God does something in the midst of public worship that is life-giving and that is freeing through the means of grace, word, sacrament, prayer. What Christian and Hopeful needed in that dungeon was a worship service, and they found it, where they are reminded of the key to turn to Jesus and all his promises. 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he granted to us his, listen to this, precious and very great promises so that through them, listen to this, you may be partakers of the divine nature. That is how needful and powerful those promises that God has given us are, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desires. See that key, the promises of God through Christ Jesus, that, that's what sets us free to get back on that straight and narrow way where we're able to trust in the Lord with all our heart, where we're, we do not lean on our own understanding, where we acknowledge Him in all our ways and trust Him to make our path straight, where we're not wise in our own eyes, where we fear the Lord, where we turn away from evil, and there again we find healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bodies. As we remember the promises of God, the dungeon doors fly open and we're set free once again to embrace Christ and experience healing and refreshment. Kyle and Dalish, two old German theologians that are long since with the Lord, wrote this about Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. From God alone comes the true prosperity, true help. He knows the right way to the right ends. He knows what benefits us. He is able to free us from that which does us harm. Therefore, it is our duty and our safety to place our confidence wholly in Him and to trust not our judgment. Amen. Let us pray. Father, grant to us the, what we have read and focused on in Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. May that, by your grace, describe us. And for those who may feel as though they're in that dark, despairing dungeon, cause them to embrace the key of the promises of Christ Jesus. May we indeed find healing and refreshment in the promises of Christ. In his name we pray, amen.